0: Good morning, you guys. I'm, I'm seriously, I'm so excited to share this word with you. I mean, I was getting the jitters a little bit, but honestly, I'm more excited to share it with you than I am nervous. And so, good morning to those of you online, too. I wish you were here with us. I know we keep saying that, but one day, it will be. It will be. It will come. And so, um, I, we, like Blake said, we got away these last couple days, and, um, the Lord just really deposited a lot of really good stuff in us, and not only did we leave really encouraged, because our news media outlets don't tell us what's going on in churches, and we, we feel really isolated in that sense. So when we got together with all these pastors, and we're, we're hearing what God's doing in churches um, all over the nation, we just got so encouraged. We're like, okay, we're not the only ones. Not that we are, but it feels like that sometimes, you know? And so um, I just want to encourage you guys as well that there is so much going on all over our nation and so many churches, and God is doing a new thing, and I am just excited to ride that train, to get on board, and let's go. I don't know what it looks like, but I'm, I'm, I'm here for it. And so um, I'm just going to pray really quick. I know that Blake did, but I would like to as well. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would come and speak through me. Father, I pray that you would open the hearts of the people here to hear what you have for them. God, that there would be no distractions, that there would be nothing in the way. God, that it would just be um, a time to hear from you. In Jesus' name, amen. So I was doing the dishes the other day, which I I do dishes a lot, but I was doing the dishes. And um, for the sake of of the kids, right, (laughs) for the sake of the kids, I'm going to try to keep it to kid one and kid two, so that I don't use names, but I'm pretty sure most of you will know who they are anyway. But (laughs) just for the people online, I guess, I don't know. But so I'm I'm doing the dishes and all of a sudden I hear a scream and kid one comes running to me, mom, mom, so-and-so hit me on the head. And I said, well, what did you do? (laughs) And they said, I didn't do anything. I said, okay, let's go talk to kid two. So we go over to kid two and I say, hey, What happened? Why did you hit so-and-so over the head? And I kid you not, without any remorse, or, like, in all seriousness, they just look at me and go, because I wanted to. (laughs) (laughs) Right? And I was like, well, at least she's being honest. Oops, I said (laughs) she. At least they're being honest. (laughs) But it was one of those, like, parenting moments where you try not to laugh, but at the same time, because you don't want to condone the behavior, but at the same time, you're like, wow, that's really real. I feel that. I, I think in our I think our whole culture feels that. Like we do it because we want to. I just want to. It feels good. It felt good to hit them, so I wanted to do it. Like and but isn't that like the state of America right now? Like we, we, we just get preached to that. We are supposed to do what makes us happy. We're supposed to follow our heart. We're supposed to be true to ourselves. And we chase this good life, um, which is the idea of being successful or maybe even being known, or just an easy life, or having everything we need, just being comfortable. That's what, that's what we chase, and um, I think that through these um, sayings that we've kind of adopted, because I think I've even heard in church, hey, just follow your heart, and, and I think it's crept into the church in the version of, well, following Jesus is supposed to be easy. I can be comfortable and follow Jesus. I can have Jesus, and I can chase money or fame. I can have Jesus, and I don't have to experience suffering. I don't have to experience hard stuff. Or what about, I I don't wanna forgive that person. What they did was truly wrong, and so I don't need to, and I can still have Jesus. Uh, What about when we see someone and we think, oh, I don't want to talk to them. They're super annoying. Like at Walmart or Safeway or something. I know, I know you guys have tried to hide and walk away. Or <laughs> it's not just me. <laughs> well, I don't do that at all. I say hi to everyone. <laughs> or, um, or just the idea that I, I just want to have fun. Who, like, what's the harm in that? I just want to have fun. I just I want to do what I want to do. And... Um, I haven't, this is my first time being able to speak to you guys, so I want to tell a little bit of my story so you know the context of why I'm so passionate about this idea, and it's, a, it's the idea of dying to ourselves, and what that actually looks like, and so the title of my message, if you're taking notes, I would love it if you would take notes, I think it's so important to write down what God speaks to you, so that you can visit it later, in the times that are, that does feel quiet, or it does feel like you're not hearing anything, but my message today is called, A Good Day to Die. A Good Day to Die. Welcome to church. <laughs> and so, <laughs> so I think the idea that, that we can have what we want, do what we want, and still have Jesus, I, I really did fall into that trap and that lie. So I grew up in a Christian home. I went to a Christian school. I went to all the Christian summer camps. I did all the things. I volunteered at youth group. I gave my life to Jesus in the second grade. Um, But I think growing up, um, I was kind of in a bubble and I wasn't, I was really naive to what the world was or what the world had to offer. And so I think um, when I went really in high school, I started seeing like, I had this idea that, oh, like my youth pastor was holding something back from me because over here there's these people and they're doing all these things that look really good and look really fun and they seem really happy, and they seem really free. And so I was struggling in my later years in high school with this dichotomy of like, well, this is what I was told all my life, but this is what I'm seeing. And so when I went to college, I really, um, I really saw what the world's version of freedom looked like. And I, felt, I really thought, oh, this is freedom. This is it. I get to do whatever I want, whenever I want, however I want. And I think, I, I thought I was bound by, by what the Bible had said. I thought that that was, oh, well, these are just a bunch of rules I'm supposed to follow. And this is how I'm supposed to do it. But why? For what? All these people over here look really, really happy. They seem like they're having fun. They seem like it, they're having a great time. And I'm, I'm grateful for my background growing up in church. Because it didn't take me long to recognize that it was a total and complete lie. It's an absolute lie. I, like Eve, fell for the deception that God was holding out on me and that I finally knew better. So in the garden, when Adam and Eve were put in the garden, God said, you can eat of any fruit except this one. And so when Eve ate of that fruit and she made the decision to eat of that fruit, she was trusting the enemy's lie that God was holding out on her and that there was something better when, in fact, God had told her the truth. And so I think um, I, I got to this place where I knew I needed Jesus, that that was the answer, but my flesh and the things that I now wanted didn't give up as easily. And so, though I knew Jesus was the answer, I knew in my head it was much easier said than done, and I think most of you can relate to this. Like, you, you know what you're supposed to do because you know the truth now, right? But then there's these desires and there's these things in you that still want what the world has to offer because in the moment it feels good, but then it just leaves you broken. And so a lot of my desires were still for the things of the world. And I, um, I remember the moment that I finally gave my life to Jesus. And when I say I finally gave my life to Jesus, I say that because I think, I think in church we... We have um, an easy salvation in the sense of like, okay, so now you know, and now you give your life to Jesus, and that's it. We're good. But in reality, it's just the beginning. And something is supposed to happen in you when you're saved. There's supposed to be a death to who you were, and you're being raised into new life for who God wants you to be. And I don't think that that transformation always, always happens when people are saved. And so, when I say I finally gave my life to Jesus, not that my faith before was, not, was insincere or anything like that, but I finally made the decision because it was for me. I wanted it. It was something that I knew would impact the rest of my life. It wasn't just a decision for the moment where, you know, at a summer camp high, or because I was told to, or because it's what everybody else is doing, or maybe because I just want to get into heaven. So I'm going to do this real quick so that I can keep living my life and get into heaven later. You know, and so when I gave my life to Jesus, it was a full and and complete submission and commitment. And I literally said, God, I don't know why you want me still after all I've done to hurt you. I feel useless. I feel broken. But whatever I have left, I give it to you completely. I surrender all of me, Jesus. And in that moment, it, it, I remember it being a little bit painful, and I think it should be, honestly, because you're dying to things that you once loved, and, but for something so much better. And so I had to die to myself and all the things that I thought I wanted so that Jesus could have me fully. And so I think um, to be signified, like to signify being raised to new life, I was actually studying abroad studying abroad in Hawaii at the time, and so I was, um, I got really involved at a church there um, during college and during my, I think it was the end of my junior year. Anyway, they were having baptisms in the ocean, and so I decided that, hey, this is my physical body coming into submission to what's happened in my spirit, and I need to do this, because I was baptized in the eighth grade, But I I felt like I needed to do it again because I hadn't fully, completely died to everything that first time. And so um, there's a story about during the Crusades, um, knights would be baptized to signify their allegiance to the church. But when they were baptized, they'd go in the water and they'd hold up their sword. So, like, to signify, well, the sword is the thing that I trust, really. This is what's going to protect me in battle. So I'm going to baptize all of me except this. And I think we as Christians, we do this, you guys. We do this. We hold up. All right, we're going we're gonna to get baptized, but I'm going to hold up my wallet. Uh, I'm going to be baptized, but I'm going to hold up my spouse and my kids. This one is deep for me because this is something that I, I have to revisit and die to completely because I know that they're better in God's hands than in my hands. But it's hard. It's not easy. We're baptized, and we hold up our career, our dreams, sometimes it's even an addiction. We hold it up over the water. I'll take care of this later. I'll baptize all of me except this because it still feels good or it still has something to offer me when that's a lie. And so I think um, when I was rebaptized, it truly represented the death of my old self and what the person that I was before I submitted myself fully to Jesus. And then you're being raised to new life and a new creation, as Paul says in, in uh, Corinthians. And so it's this physical act that we do and that our spirit partners, like we're partnering with our spirit in it. And so I'm really big on, on doing things so that we get in line with our spirit. And when I say that, I mean like getting on your knees to pray, I think the physical act of doing it, it puts yourself in submission to God. And so what, you, what your heart wants is God, and you're putting your spirit, or you're putting your flesh in alliance with your spirit. You're making your body do it. Or lifting your hands in worship. You don't have to feel like it, because God is who he is no matter what you feel like. <laughs> and so when we lift our hands in worship, or when we clap, or when we jump up and down because we're so excited, that's all our physical self aligning with our spirit and what's happening in our spirit. And so I, I really um, believe in the power of physically doing what our spirit feels. And so... Um, all right, so Blake has been talking about this book, Live No Lies, and I'm going to talk a little bit about it too because it's that good. Um, it is, it's just a really... Um, great, it's by John Mark Comer, and if you have not read it, please read it. It's a really great, um, Not, it's not super intellectual, but it really unpacks what's going on in our culture right now, and um, the enemies that sabotage our relationship with God, which are the devil, the flesh, and the world. And so he unpacks what that means, what that looks like, and um, he writes in during the chapter about the flesh how our strongest desires are not often our deepest desires so there's a difference he he makes the difference between our strongest desires and our deep deep deepest desires and so if you would for me take a moment if you need to close your eyes or whatever and just think about okay what is my deepest desire really what is my deepest desire not my strongest desire, because right now my strongest desire is to go to Taco Bell and get some Taco Bell, <laughs> 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 but my deepest desire. So what, what's truly the deepest desire of my heart? And so for me, and I think for many of us in this room, it truly is for God himself. It truly is to see his kingdom here on earth and for his will to be done. And that, 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 Desire is the Holy Spirit inside of us. So when we're saved, we have this gift of the Holy Spirit, and that desire comes from the Holy Spirit inside of us, to want God more than anything. And so he says um, in his book, Our deepest desires, usually to become people of goodness and love, are often sabotaged by the stronger, surface-level desires of our flesh. This is exacerbated by a culture where the widespread wisdom of the day is to follow your desires, not to crucify them. But in reality, be true to yourself is some of the worst advice anybody could ever give you. Here's why. Giving in to the desires of our flesh does not lead us to freedom in life, as many people assume, but instead to slavery and, in the worst-case scenario, addiction, which is a kind of prolonged suicide by pleasure. And so I just, um, I just, I love how he talks about that and how it, it truly is, we, we have this idea of freedom, especially in America, that it is the ability to do whatever we want whenever we want. But the trouble is that we, we decide what's good or bad. So when we do whatever we want, and it's good for me, it might not be good for you, but it's good for me, if we're defining that, then there's no, there's nothing to stop me from taking a bat to a car because it makes me feel good. It's not hurting anyone, right? But it makes me feel good, so I should be able to do that. And so I think that there's this chase after what it is to be a good person, which implies, or sorry, the good life, which implies being a good person. So we're chasing a good life, right? Right? But that means that you have to be a good person. Well, what does it look like to be a good person? Because if we're defining that for ourselves, and there's nothing to define that for us, right? So I want to take a minute, though, to talk about defining the flesh. Because um, I know that it's easy to hear the word flesh and think, OK, like the, the flesh, the skin on my bones, my bones, you know, like our, our physical bodies. But it's not that so much as it is. so. Like in an animal, there's these um, innate desires for, or desires, I guess, like um, instincts for food, water, to reproduce. Those things in and of themselves, they're not bad, right? I mean, they're created by God. Those things are there for a purpose, and they serve a good purpose. They can serve a good purpose. So we as humans, the same is true. We have this this innate Desire to be loved, to belong, to f- also for food, water, um, and these things on their own, they are not evil themselves. But when they are taken out of the context of what God intended them for, then they rule over us instead of us ruling over them. So in the garden, God said to Adam and Eve, take dominion over the earth, right? Govern the earth. And so part of that is those, those desires. Like, okay, I need food right now. Okay, I'm going to go get food. But it's, it's when the first sin happened and when things became disordered that now our, de- our desires are disordered as well. So now the desires that we were supposed to rule over and govern over, they're instead ruling over us. And so the flesh is taking these desires out of context that God created them in for just the the purpose of self-serving. So whatever makes me feel good, right? And so let's go to Galatians 5, 13. And I'm just going to read what Paul says here. So you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is filled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh." They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. But this is exactly what culture tells us to do. We're supposed to do whatever we want. But I'm reading my Bible right here, and it says we are not to do whatever we want. How does that work? And so I think the Bible is just so clear on this subject, but it's easier said than done. And so we often think, okay, well, maybe this is... I mean maybe I can hold on to this one thing answered Jesus. Why not? There's other people doing it. And and so we we read the Bible but it's clear that this idea is just a complete trap of the enemy. And it's a trap that he made in order to keep us slaves to our flesh. Because if he can keep us slave to our flesh and not following the spirit, then he has us, you guys. And so Just because something feels good doesn't mean it is good. And Paul describes here where there's this um, kind of tug of war between our flesh and our spirit, right? So he defines that there's desires of the flesh, and then there's desires of the spirit. And so where the flesh is this, like, shallow, animalistic, just desire for self-pleasure and things that will fulfill us or what we think will fulfill us, the spirit is a deeper desire for love and goodness. So, like what, what we just talked about, where our strongest desire is not necessarily our deepest desire, and so our, if our deepest desire is for love and goodness, then our desire is for God, because God is love, God is goodness, and so let's continue in Galatians. We're gonna um, start start back up at verse nineteen. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division. Is this sounding familiar yet? I don't know about you guys, but envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living this sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There There is no law against these things. Those who belong to Christ have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. So the idea, this idea that I'm talking about, the idea of dying to yourself, I, like I said, it's a lot easier said than done, and it does not come naturally. Like I mean, the idea of dying is against our very instinct, right? Like, we have an instinct for survival. We have an instinct to stay alive. So it doesn't come naturally. Um, and it just reminds me, when Blake and I were youth pastors, um, and I'd share my story or I'd share my testimony, I would have girls come up to me and say, Christina, how did you do it? How did you get from there to here? I can't even, I can't even picture you as that person. How, how are you here now? And, and i was stopped by anything I did. What The only thing that I did, and, I, and truly, I believe this with all my heart, was completely and fully surrender to God. Completely, complete, utter abandon, all of me holding nothing back. If, if Jesus was all I had tomorrow, I would be okay. I got to that place. And I think that's where, that's where Jesus says, okay, now we get to do all this other stuff. Like now, the rest comes after that, and so I think um, it's it's also I think there's a dying to yourself isn't a one and done type thing. I think that there is an initial death of your old self that should happen when you are saved, but because we're on this side of eternity and we still the flesh is still a part of us, I think there's a, a there's a constant tug of war, and so. you have to do what I like to call heart checks every once in a while. And, um, okay, God, is there anything that I'm putting above you in my life? Is there anything more important to me than you? If tomorrow all I had was you, would that be enough? And it's hard, and it's painful, and it hurts. But when we do this, we join Jesus in the way of Jesus, of following him to the cross, you guys, and of joining in his suffering, because he knew what it was to die. And so, um, I've been, I've been, so when I say, like, it's not a one-and-done type thing, I'll give you an example. So for me, this year, as much as I know God has called us here, and I'm, I'm happy to be here, it has been one of the hardest years of my life. <laughs> I, I left... So much, um, like, I left deep relationships. I left somewhere that I called home for the first time, truly felt like I was home. And, um, and there wasn't anything, like, to sever that for me. Like, th- we, we had great relationships. Everything was going good. And God said, all right, you're moving to Ephrata. And I said, okay, well, that's clear. So if it's that easy to hear you on this, then it's going to be really easy to be here. And that was not the case. <laughs> I, have, I was um, seven months pregnant when we moved with our fourth, which um, we're super grateful for, but was not planned. And so um, I, I was in just the thick of it. I have four kids, five years old and under. And so our house is just chaos. It is fun, and I love it, but it, that doesn't make it easy. <laughs> it's hard. And so I just found myself, um, just a few months ago, thinking, "Well well, what about me? I'm taking care of everybody else, day in and day out, all of their whims, all of their wines, all of their needs, without fail. When do I get mine? What about me? I feel lost in all this. What about me? And I was reading through the book of Matthew at the time, just reading the story of Jesus. Um, Just to get closer to the gospel, because I I really do feel like this is a little side trail, but for moms out there, that there is a lot to learn from Jesus. Even though he wasn't a mom, I think that the gospel does does pair with being a mom and what it looks like to disciple our children. And so I was just trying to get deeper into that. And um, the Holy Spirit brought me to Matthew 14. If you want to turn there with me, or you can look at the screen. So this takes place just after Jesus hears that his cousin, John the Baptist, had been killed. And so it says, as soon as Jesus heard the news, he left in a boat to a remote area to be alone. But the crowds heard where he was headed and followed on foot from many towns. Jesus saw the huge crowd as he stepped from the boat, and he yelled at them and told them, Go away so I can cry. Nope. That's not what Jesus said. Jesus had compassion on them and healed their sick. And I was just broken. (laughs) I was like, okay, Jesus finds out that his good friend is killed. All he wants to do is get away to mourn and to grieve this loss that was so dear to him. And a bunch of people follow him there. And where my reaction would be to get angry and yell at them and tell them to go away. What did Jesus do? He had compassion on them. And for me, the only explanation was that Jesus was getting filled up by something other than what we can do on our own. Jesus was filled up with the Holy Spirit, and that's where his compassion flowed from. Because his, it says his, he wanted to get away. He got in a boat to go to be alone. So what he wanted was to be alone, but when the people followed him, the Holy Spirit in him had compassion on them, and that's what he obeyed, not his desire to be alone. And so he sees them and has compassion on them, and after reading this, I just knew in that moment my heart's not in the right place, and so when I say it's not a one-and-done type thing, I had to die again to myself but in a different way, and say, okay, Jesus, I put myself on the throne, and I was looking out for me when you need to be on the throne, and so I, I said, Jesus, I put you back on the throne, I give it to you, and that allows me to love my family better, you guys, that allows me to mom better, that allows me to live better, when it's not, it's, it's not about holding tight to what you have. That's what the, the cult, you know, culture teaches us, especially my, I grew up my parents um, immigrated from communist Romania when they were in their teens. And so the way I grew up, the way I was raised, was that you, you, you cling to everything. Like, my mom still clings to a lot of things. I know you're watching, Mom. I love you. Uh, <laughs> cling, you cling to these things, and you put your hope and security in them because it was, it was something that they didn't have. They didn't have anything that was their own. And so... Um, it can even be a cultural thing but when the truth is we when we hold so tightly to those things we live in this constant tug of war because we have Jesus saying no give it to me it's better in my hands and then we have ourselves saying no no uh, it's better in my hands i can take care of it better you know i can i can it, like like we have some sort of control anyway cuz we don't <laughs> right <laughs> and so <laughs> everything we have is a gift. It truly is. And no matter how hard you worked for it, no matter what, and I'm not devaluing that in any way. I think hard work ethic and working hard is a good thing. But I'm just saying it's not ours anyway. We can't take that into eternity. But we we do take our souls into eternity and what our deepest desires were. And when we stand in front of God he's going to say were you obedient with what I gave you and were you faithful did you stick it out and so we're we're just stewarding everything we have anyway and I was saying a little earlier that for me what the things that I get stuck up on the most if I'm being honest is my husband and my kids those are the two things that I just tend to want to hold super close super tight no I cannot lose these things and I even found myself this summer, another, another time when I had to just die to myself and let those things go, was um, I was sitting in the backyard watching the kids play. And God was like, if, if you lost them tomorrow and all you had was me, would you be okay? And I said, No. And God just started to work in my heart and get me to a place where I could truly say, Okay, God. I give them fully to you because I know that you love them infinitely more than I do, that you're watching out for them infinitely more than I am, that they are yours, not mine, and I will steward them to the best of my ability, but I give them to you, and if I don't have them tomorrow and I have you, I will make it. And that's hard. That sucks. (laughs) It is not fun. But in it, we get to share, again, what Jesus talks about when he says, follow me to the cross. And so, I think Peter, um, Peter didn't understand what Jesus was trying to accomplish in his death. And so, I just want to go over this real quick, too, just to talk about um, what, what Jesus was trying to do even in his disciples before he died. And so, let's go to Matthew 16... So, Matthew 16, 21, so um, Peter just gets done realizing, oh my goodness, this is actually, Jesus is the Messiah, he's the son of God, and he tells Jesus, God, you are the Messiah, and God says, all right, Peter, way to go, you did it, you figured it out, on you, you are my rock, I will build my church, and then it goes into (laughs) the harshest reprimand, I think, in the whole Bible. (laughs) Just from like, so Peter goes from this super high to this super low real quick. So let's start at verse 21. From, um, so he just G- Peter says, you are Jesus. Jesus, you are the Messiah. So from then on, Jesus began to tell his disciples plainly that it would be necessary for him to go to Jerusalem, that he would suffer many terrible things at the hands of the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of the religious law. He would be killed, but on the third day, he would be raised from the dead. Peter took him aside and began to reprimand him for saying such things. Heaven forbid, Lord, he said, this will never happen to you. Jesus turned to Peter and said, get away from me, Satan. You are a dangerous trap to me, and you are seeing things merely from a human point of view and not from God's. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world, but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? So the, this idea of dying to yourself, I mean, even for Peter, it was like, no, this isn't the way it ends. No, not for the Messiah. And he didn't understand that Jesus had to die in order to be resurrected. He didn't understand that only when you follow Jesus to the cross can you share in his resurrection. It's the way of Jesus. The cross is the way of Jesus. Suffering is the way of Jesus. (laughs) I'm sorry if you didn't know that before you got into this, (laughs) but, (laughs) but it is, and it's, it's not, it's not a suffering that, um, that is draining or painful even, it's, it is truly a joyous suffering, and I know that sounds completely contrary. (laughs) But I can tell you from my own experience and I believe it with all of me that this is the only way to live, to truly live. Is to completely die to yourself, give up whatever you want and give it fully to God. Because whatever we thought we wanted, it pales in comparison to what God has for you. Truly. And I can say that as well from my own experience. I, my plan for my life was not this. But boy, am I glad that I said yes to Jesus because it is way, way better than what I had planned for me. And so Peter didn't understand that following Jesus to the cross meant putting to death the part of us, which is our flesh that we've been talking about, that desires anything but Jesus. And so if we want to be resurrected with Christ, we have to first die. The thing is though that Jesus didn't die on the cross. He died long before that. And when you when you die to yourself, you're not afraid of death anymore, because you've already lost, you've given up everything that brings you life, right? You like everything that, that you've always wanted, you're giving up. And so now you don't need to fear death anymore. You know what it is to die with Christ. And it is worth it. It is worth it, you guys. So We've been talking about the thought that generally to have a good life, you must be a good person. But the qualities that make up a good person are things like love, sacrifice, humility, compassion. But all these things have in common the fact that they require self-sacrifice. So it's just directly contrary to what the world tells us to do. If we're supposed to do what we want and have what we want, then humility doesn't line up with that. Because humility is literally laying down ourselves and, and looking at others as better than ourselves. Sacrifice is directly contrary to that, but it's valued, right? It's valued in our culture. Sacrifice is valued in our culture. But it's directly contrary to the idea of doing what we want. Are having what we want. And so I think, um, for instance, being a good person is something like, you know, having a comfortable life, having a happy family, um, just having a great job that you love, helping people whenever you get a chance. um, But even so, even if that, that bare minimum is true, For the American dream, or whatever it is, that still requires some level of sacrificing our own interests and desires. And so the truth is no matter how good we are, it won't make us happy. If we do whatever we want, it won't satisfy us. If we build our own kingdom, it won't last. The Bible is clear that salvation is not a product of anything we can do, earn, or be. It's in Jesus alone. Turn with me to Philippians 3. And we're going to start midway through verse 3. We rely on what Christ Jesus has done for us. We put no confidence in human effort, though I could have confidence in my own effort if anyone could. This is Paul writing. Um, If you guys don't know the story about Paul, he was a Pharisee, and he um, persecuted the Jews before Jesus met him and completely changed his life. And so he's actually writing from jail here. Um, So it says, Indeed, if others have reason for confidence in their own efforts, I have even more. I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I'm a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demanded the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. As for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. So he's saying I did everything right, you guys. Literally everything that I could do that the world told me to do, I did it. Verse 7, I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared to the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus as my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it as garbage, so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law, rather... I become righteous through faith in Jesus Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing his death, so that one way or another, I will experience the resurrection from the dead. And Paul is talking about putting our flesh to death and the desires that we thought we had. So that he can share in Jesus' resurrection. Again, if we don't follow Jesus to the cross, how can we follow him into resurrection? You can't be resurrected unless you first died. And he continues in verse 18. For I have told you often before, and I say it again with tears in my eyes, that there are many whose conduct shows that they are real enemies of the cross of Christ. They are headed for destruction, Their God is their appetite, and they brag about shameful things. They think about only this life here on earth. But we are citizens of heaven, where the Lord Jesus Christ lives, and we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our Savior. He will take our weak, mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like his own, using the same power with which he will bring everything under his control. I love this because Paul is saying, what we lost in the garden the control over our, f- our flesh and those instinct desires, Jesus will come back and take control over again. It won't always be like this. Our flesh will not always have power over us. But until then, it is absolutely necessary that we follow Jesus to the cross and lay down anything that separates us from him. Paul had everything to be proud of as far as the world was concerned. He had really made it, so to speak. But he realized after meeting Jesus that what he had built on his own, it was worthless in comparison to what Christ could build in him. So, Jesus says, give me your comfort and I'll give you true peace. Give me your happiness and I will show you true peace. Give me what you love, and I will show you what true love is. So I, I really feel led to invite us all into a heart check today. And, um, and I do want to just ask you all if there's anything, just close your eyes maybe just to block out anybody next to you, because this is between you and God. Is there anything that needs to be put to death in your life? Is there anything that you desire more than Jesus? If Jesus was truly all you had tomorrow, would that be enough? If the answer is no, then there's something. There's something you're lifting above Jesus, and there's something that's separating you from him. So I want to give you an opportunity to die today, to die to those things so that Jesus can be fully bring you to life, and fully make you new, and do what his word promised. So in a minute, if, if you feel like this is you, that there's something that you need to lay down, I do want to invite you to come up and lay it down. It's not like there's a super spiritual presence up here that's not back there with you guys. I, I don't think that. But I think, again, that there's something powerful in having your physical self do what your spirit is telling you and coming in alignment with your spirit. And so, Father, I pray right now that you would reveal through your Holy Spirit anything that is separating us from you. Show us what we need to lay down, God, because the other side is infinitely better. It is so much better, and it is so worth it, God. I pray, God, even for the person who maybe has never laid down their lives, God, who has never died to themselves. Father, I pray that that they would be welcomed home into salvation, that they would come. So right now, if that's you, would you come and lay it down at the front?